1: TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Minnesota Vikings, the NFL, football. Yeah, football. Welcome to Purple Podcast.
2: Welcome to the post Minnesota Vikings against whatever team they played today. It'll be the Miami Dolphins. Teal Miami Dolphins played really hideous, ugly, awful football against the Minnesota Vikings. Version of the Purple Podcasts. Um, there are many places where we could start in this game, Judd, on the offensive side of the football. A forty-one to seventeen victory. Uh, I'd like to just congratulate the Dolphins on somehow winning seven football games with this roster. I have no idea how they did it, but good job. I, I know they had one miracle play. I know the Bears missed some field goals. So I I want this to be seen through the lens. Everything we say through the lens of they beat a really bad team. And this is not the first time that they have beaten really bad teams. They beat Arizona like this. They beat the Jets like this. So don't think everything is fixed. It's all okay. Championship just yet. But let me go here to start, Judd, and you can read and react. Kevin Stefanski did a lot of smart things. He's not going to put up 41 points doing these things all the time, but a lot of the things that Sage Rosenfels on this podcast has been talking about for a very long time, moving Kirk cousins, running the football, spreading the ball around all those things. They happen today. So I think Kevin Stefanski receives pretty high marks, even though we have to look at it through. It's the dolphins. They're bad.
1: So I think there's several ways to interpret today's game, and there's several different angles to talk about, and some are good, and some are concerning, and some are just downright bad. Uh, I will start here. Today, offensively for the Vikings, was really, no matter who the opponent was, it was all about them. It was all about, are, were you going to go back to a lot of the concepts that Pat Shermer used in 2017? And the answer was absolutely yes. Yes. So, I think if you look at this in a vacuum of what did the Vikings offense do? The Vikings offense looked like it should look. There were a lot of games this year with with De Filippo in which it didn't. And and I asked Zimmer in the post-game press conference something along the lines of what was different here, what changed. And he brought up again the fact that De Filippo's playbook must have been enormous. Like it must have had more concepts and and they also Zimmer also got into talking about the fact that I think by the Patriots game and certainly Seahawks game last Monday night, Kirk Cousins was, like, paralyzed. Like, he didn't know what to do next. He had so many plays, and he wasn't really playing and reacting. He was just trying to think through things. Um, but I think the most important takeaway of today's game, because the defense, once again, played spectacularly. The defense was great. The most important takeaway of today's game was the offense looked like it, it should have looked. Cousins was used, for the most part, in a very smart way. And Eureka, guess who can play football a little bit? Dalvin Cook can play. Dalvin Cook can carry the ball a lot. The the misuse of Dalvin Cook to me is one thing I will to my dying day, unless D. Filippo explains it exactly, I will never get. But the use of Cook today and the way that this offense operated, and also guess what, they were smart enough to operate in a way that could cover up somewhat for for the offensive line deficiencies, right? So if you from a starting point, no matter who they played today, there were certain things I felt going in, into this game that we had to see. And for the most part, not everything was perfect, but for the most part, we saw a lot of things that lead you to believe that this offense is now in in the final three games of the season and then into the playoffs is at least going to operate in a smart way. It wasn't doing that, Matthew. So let me go one
2: by one here and start with the quarterback of the squad. Kirk Cousins, you mentioned this. I can't remember when, maybe six, eight weeks ago about some of the things D. Filippo was asking Kirk Cousins to do. And one of them was be a drop-back passer, a lot of times out of the shotgun. So you're taking – uh, a shotgun snap and you're giving the uh, other team's defensive ends a lot of opportunity to get around your tackles and cousins doesn't move very well in the pocket so he would pretty much hunker down in one spot and then give an opportunity for the defense to pressure him and as we know this is not the best offensive line in the league um, but I thought two things takeaways one you you touched on a bit there but a lot of things were done to help the offensive line today that should have been done all season long. This is not a good offensive line. This is not one of the worst I've ever seen. I mean, Riley reef is a solid left tackle at league average. Brian O'Neill is coming along at right tackle. Pat Elfline is a pretty good center. The guards haven't been great, but come on, it shouldn't have looked like a complete catastrophe In the run and pass game all season long with enough talent here to do some things with there are other teams that have bad or worse talent and do just as much or more as the Vikings were able to do so in the run game outside zone running scheme. We saw it on the very first drive successful screenplay. Second play of the game is a 27-yard screen play to Delvin Cook, and that's using the offensive line with what they're good at. That helps Kirk Cousins. That's 27 yards when he had to throw it three. And, and, and that has baffled me the whole year is why they couldn't get the screen pass game going when they were so good at it last year, and now we see today a lot of that is design. It's also moving Kirk Cousins. And most importantly, they won this game – Like they had a rich man's case Keenum like they designed the game plan like they were having case Keenum a quarterback Only this guy has a better arm. He threw 21 times. That is very Keenum esque to run the ball a lot successfully with a lot of different looks, but also putting in the, the big guys and having Delvin Cook run outside. Like these things are not crazy, Judd. It's like we've been asking for them all season long, but my takeaway is this is all the stuff that was kind of right there in front of you. It was obvious and simple right. that this team has enough talent to do well. Give the ball to Delvin Cook is not a hot take, but and Cook helped out Kirk Cousins a ton today.
1: He did, but, but the problem is – There's far too many uh, coordinators and coaches in this league who are bound and determined to make their, their system work and their scheme work. And they never look at, oh, my players can do this. It starts with the quarterback of this team. Yes, he is signed, and we have to all accept this because it's guaranteed. He signed to a three-year, $84 million uh, contract. No, that does not make him an $84 million quarterback. So the question then becomes, okay, what is the best use of Kirk Cousins? What can Cousins do? What can he do? And how can I almost protect him from himself, right? Well, Dalvin Cook's a pretty damn good player. So Dalvin Cook standing right back there. One thing to, to do is give him the ball, which they did today. So I think the frustrating thing is, For whatever reason, they got an OC who for 13 games basically said, no, my system works, my system works, and we're paying Kirk Cousins all this. And nobody ever finally, until they fired him, said, all right, John, that's fantastic. But guess what? It's not working. And and what gets lost here and where this team, if they have any chance at all, the offense needs to be efficient and pretty good, and it can be. But where this got all screwed up and lost is this your linchpin is still defense. This defense is your meal ticket. If you are going to win in the playoffs, it's going to be your defense and your offense, oh, by the way, does not screw up. And, and it, the problem got to be the focus became so much on what the offense was not doing and how poorly it, it was playing. That game in Seattle was ridiculous just in the fact that they couldn't possess the football. It was so bad that... I don't know what the O.C. was doing by that game, but Kirk Cousins looked afraid to screw up. He looked he looked like he was almost happy when it got to fourth down and he hadn't thrown a pick or fumbled because, okay, at least I get to get off the field without being yelled at. So what we saw today was a, was a glimpse of if this team is going to have success, the formula in which they at least can competently work and not have things fall apart.
2: So I, I want to go to... Delvin Cook, because I I agree with all of that, with the way that they handle Kirk Cousins. It has to be in a way where he can have time to throw the ball, where he can find different spots for him to throw it from. I've said this before that, I mean, everyone knows he's good at play action, but he's also good on the rollout. Like if he knows where he's supposed to go with the ball, he's good with that. And Stefanski did something that I just love and works all the time in the NFL. You put in two tight ends. Maybe a fullback, if you want a tight end, a fullback, you send out two receivers and you send only those two receivers on routes, but those receivers are Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen. And if the other team is playing zone coverage, you will find an open spot because you have great receivers and they're thinking, okay, it's going to be a run or you're, why are you keeping so many people in? It must be a run play. There's a play action. And you've got maybe their third linebacker on the field. Like there are different ways that that gives you advantages. And Schirmer did it all year. I don't know how many times I wrote like David Morgan's pretty important. CJ Hamm is pretty important. This year, the number two tight end, it's been Conklin a lot. But the number two tight end, the fullback, they've been totally irrelevant. It's been all three wide receivers all the time. And it just hasn't really worked, especially with the personnel. Aldrich Robinson is a throw-it-deep-every-once-in-a-while guy, and Laquan Treadwell shouldn't be on the team. So why not use the strongest personnel group that you can and give him extra protection all the time? Thielen and Diggs will still win. So that's another point on how Stefanski helped... Those guys, how he helped Delvin Cook was run the right ru- running scheme. He just used him. Isn't it clear that the scheme was way off? How many times did they yes. run behind Remmers or Compton and go for two yards? Now he, he was running behind the fullback, who is very good, CJ Ham, a couple of times. Yep. That is a tried and true football thing. Lorenzo Neal and Sam Gash can speak to that, right? Did Emmett Smith they hammered it right behind moose johnston they did it all the time and with the Vikings, if they're going to run the ball like this and control the clock and things like that, use the fullback. And for him to be able to get to the outside on a number of occasions, that's where the guy is unbelievable. Remember when he ran 22 miles an hour? Right. Like Clearly, but, if
1: he's got a guy in space, no one can stop him. But 19 carries is a season high. Think about that. 19 carries is a season high. This is only the second time in Delvin Cook's career, which started in 2000 and 17 and lasted four games before he tore the ACL. The idea is rushed for 100 yards or more. The first time, game one last year against the Saints. Yep. So, so to me, this is a just use him too. His season high in carries uh, before today was week one against San Francisco with 16 carries. That's not enough. Latavius Murray is a very nice, complimentary player who should play and get some carries. But this is not tough. Stefanski. I don't mean to insult him by saying this, but I think there are several people that you could have given the Vikings layout of the offense to and said, okay, come in here and do a better job than Flip did, and they they would have immediately done that because there's just some obvious things. and and I re- But I really do think it goes back to, and I don't know why, but I do think it went back to attempting to use Cousins as if he was a top five to top ten QB. And Cousins is a lot of things, and he's certainly not a train wreck, but he is not a top-five QB. And when you when you rely on him to operate sort of without an exact plan, it's asking for trouble. And we only saw one meltdown today, and, of course, that's not good because this does go back to the fact that if this team is ultimately going to be as successful as it could possibly be and, let's say, win a playoff game or two – Kirk Cousins is going to need to be damn near perfect. He's not going to have to make all the great throws, but, my God, the pick sixes, the picks, the fumbles have to stop. They have to stop.
2: They won't. That's uh, a spoiler alert. But, as I've said before, Judd, you are allowed to overcome a mistake. You In the NFL, you are allowed to overcome an Adam Thielen fumble against New Orleans, or a pick six, or whatever else it might be. Things go wrong for teams. Russell Wilson made one of the worst throws I've ever seen in my life, and I have no idea what he was thinking, and they won, because they were allowed to overcome it. They made stops, they scored at the end, they ran the ball successfully. Like You can do that, and when you finish drives which seems like a foreign concept for this team, but they scored all six times they were in the red zone. Four of them were touchdowns and they ran the ball successfully in the red zone. You know why? Because Kirk cousins is bad in the red zone. He always has been his whole career going into this season. Oh, there were a bunch of articles about Kirk cousins in the red zone. I think he gets a little anxious down there. Mm -hmm. I think he starts looking around things work a little fast for him and he struggles at times. So his one touchdown pass is exactly what I was talking about with the max protection and he rolls out, digs his wide open. He can handle that the rest of the times handoff, handoff, handoff. That's a, that's perfect for him. Like get, get touchdowns from your running backs because that's not cousins strength. And that was, I think the thing that we saw today, the most, why they were able to overcome some of the mistakes and so forth was Not only playing to the strengths of several players, Delvin Cook the most obviously, Mm -hmm. but also playing to the weakness and not forcing Cousins to make a great pass down in the red zone because it's just not what he does all that well. So instead, you get down there and it's let's let Delvin Cook score. Let's let Latavius Murray score. Which is feasible. Exactly. You can do that because he's great. You're right about it. I mean, the f- talk about fireable offenses. I don't even care about most of the stuff. Like you could you could erase it and say, okay, well, that yeah. the offensive line, it was their fault. Their cousins isn't that great and it never has been. But Delvin Cook is freaking di- amazing at football. He's and a
1: if, dynamic player. If
2: you can't get him the ball, then that is a fireable offense, and we need to try somebody else. And that's exactly what they did here today.
1: And also, it did seem like they did less shotgun with Kirk today as well, which, A by the way, yep. which, by the way, I completely agree with explain this to me. Unless you have Brady or Rogers or Wilson, what is the what is the fascination that's become with everything from shotgun now in this league? Now, college, I sort of get it. You're signaling in the play. I mean, I give up on, on colleges. But what is the the ultimate like it seems to me? that operating from under center gives you more options. Yep. When When you're operating from shotgun, which at times I do get completely. Okay. I'm not saying it should be abolished. I don't believe that for a second, but it seems to me, the other problem is when you're operating from shotgun, teams know pretty much exactly what you're going to do, or you're telegraphing it at times. And if you've got, Brady, guess what? It's going to probably work because he's really, really good at football. He's a Hall of Fame QB. But Kirk Cousins, I thought I thought they insulated him a lot more today. I thought it was smart, and I thought less shotgun was a starting point for that.
2: Uh, well, I think that some of it, if I'm just looking like historically – Probably comes from the 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 influence in the college game, clearly, but also Peyton Manning was out of shotgun all the time at the end of his career. But again, yeah, because he because he, he he's brilliant, but he couldn't move also, and but, that's the thing with right. Brady too. Like Brady can shuffle a little during but they're the brilliant play.
1: minds; they never panic. That's right. These men never panic, but they Kirk also panics.
2: Like, but they also like if you're asking a 40 year old quarterback to like do all this movement, yeah. bootlegs. You don't, wanna, you don't want you don't want to do that. Like, so they would have them. But you're right, of course they they pick teams apart that way with their minds. They also get the ball out of their hands really quick, which Mm -hmm. Kirk Cousins doesn't really do. They've got a better pocket presence. Uh, But, you know, who agrees with you on this take is Sean McVay. The Los Angeles Rams have the highest percentage of under center plays. And with this team, when they have that look with a tight end or two tight ends, or when they have a a fullback back there, you don't know what's coming because the two great receivers are in the game and you've got a great running back in the game, a big fullback who can block. If you're the defense, you are already sort of off balance when you see that look. And I think Cousins operates especially well. And remember, he used to work with Sean McVay. Yeah. I think he operates especially well when he can drop back and you know, I think it's a little bit of a myth that if you're in the shotgun, it's like better for protection. But I don't think that it is. I think it's probably about the same, but for him, I think it's much
1: worse. Okay, so so here's the example, and some QBs, the great ones have this. Cousins does not. The great QBs, out of shotgun to me, look like point guards. Yeah. Like it's distribution, distribution, yep. distribution. Yep. It's not always sexy, and sometimes it's short passes, but it's distribution. That's yep. the only thing. Take the snap, bang, it's gone. Cousins now, no, and I'm not saying that he's a great athlete, but he seems to operate more as an athlete, which means if you move him, if you do things with him, he is not. If you just say, Kirk, here's what I want you to do on this on this Sunday. I want you to stand on the football field, and I want you to think. I think Kirk says, oh, my God, no, 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 no. Let me do things. So the quarterbacks who are best from shotgun look like point guards. Kirk Cousins, to me, is not a point guard quarterback.
2: And those can often get to a second, third read quickly, which he does not do all that well. They also have amazing timing. He does not have amazing timing. There have been many uh, instances where he's been late on throws, where he recognizes something late, where he doesn't trust himself. So all of those things are true. Here's the other one. Stepping up in the pocket is an absolute requirement of the shotgun. If you cannot step up in the pocket, because if you think about where the defensive ends are rushing toward, they're rushing basically a couple yards behind you in the shotgun. So you take the snap, take a couple steps back and and he's a sitting duck there and has been all season long. If you bootleg him out, then you can set up your protection to kind of wall them off. That's exactly what Chicago does with Trubisky all the time. They wall off the best pass rusher. They did it to Everson Griffin and he had no uh, pressures in that game. And and then we see that here. And it's it's one of those things where you wonder, like, would they have, what, two, three more wins if they had just done some of these things this year? I feel like at least one, maybe more than that.
1: Uh, just The last two games. The last right. two games I mean, were there. They, they
2: could have won either one.
1: Yeah. I mean, those are two good teams. But guess what? The Patriots and Seahawks essentially kept you in both games. Exactly. So if you had a... But I just... This, is, this has gotten in, in our discussions about this to me. This has gotten past the point of, of cousins can't do this or he stinks at that. This has gotten to the question of, okay, you've now got two games left and then playoffs. What can he do? Because he can do some things. This is not an unworkable quarterback. This is not at all. So where the discussion now lies for me is what is the smartest way to do things and what type of QB is this? And, and I will criticize the Vikings here. I do find a lot of fault that not more thought was given to this a long time ago. Yeah. Like, I don't understand why. And and I don't understand. And I'd love to know when, when the story comes out, if it does come out, what the due diligence done on on flip was because and I get it. You had to hire him quickly. Shermer had just left. I'm sure Zim loved the fact that he got a guy in his building who beat him so badly with the Eagles in the uh, title game and all of that. But I do wonder how you didn't, when you decided, okay, Kirk Cousins is our guy. He's our target. And, there, and, and we talked about this for weeks. We knew that there was a very good chance that he was going to elect to sign here. How you didn't know what the tendencies of Cousins were, what the tendencies of Flip were, and more importantly, marry things together so, so that if there was a rough spot, let's say it lasted a month because we're in game 14 now, well, and it took a long, long time. So the best
2: I've got for you on that is that Filippo is very impressive at a podium. He's probably very impressive in an interview, um, and I wouldn't have guessed that he would work to the exact opposite of Kirk Cousins' strengths in many ways. Now, it's not – the thing that I did – I did a piece on this, like a film piece, where I looked at – In different, at different times throughout the year, he did the right things, but it wasn't on a consistent basis. It wasn't week to week even. And sometimes the game plans, especially against Chicago, were just confounding. Like what, what is going on here compared to what you did against Green Bay week two in the second half, for example, where they did a lot of good things, converted a bunch of third and shorts, but then never went back to Kyle Rudolph on third and shorts. And it was like, why? I mean, what has happened here? That's a tried and true method over Kyle Rudolph's whole career, third and four throwing the ball, right? Like it's that simple. And I expect that we'll see more and more of that as we go along here. But I would say. You know, DeFilippo had looked like a guy who had been around with a couple of different teams, was on a very successful offense, could bring a lot of that over, and someone who could understand the strengths and weaknesses of his players. And maybe there's something to it. I originally dismissed the idea from Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk of DeFilippo trying too hard to prove how genius he was, but I think there's something to that potentially. I agree completely, yes.
1: Yeah, I think he called plays... That he thought would would get him noticed by executives who, who would say, "Yeah, we've seen McVay and Shanahan, and, and the Vikings' offense might not work perfect, but look at those play calls, which I think was a calculated mistake. No. I don't think it's going to help his cause, but I do think that there was, some, I think there was something there too because of this. I don't think John's a dumb guy. Didn't know I didn't not at all know not him well, all. but I don't think he's a dumb guy. And for him. To ignore the things he seemingly ignored, there has to be an explanation there. Yeah. And you know what? Pounding the ball with Dalvin Cook might be boring, and teams and teams might say, oh, you know what? That's the simple thing to do. But it would have been the smart thing. So there's got to be an explanation for how we got to where where we were that caused um, Stavansky today to be calling plays for the Vikings. So I think that
2: that's it more than creative plays necessarily, but the whole – I have a million plays in my playbook and look how complicated my offense can be. And look how much I can throw the ball. And there, there's some situational things too, that when they would get down in games, of course you've got to throw the ball, but also, you know, I mean, you're talking about being down in those games. So you shouldn't have been there to begin with. I, I, I do want to say that where I would defend D De flipos in one area that we have decided now, Kevin Stefanski is the greatest play caller in history after a game against a team, that's a joke. They are the most laughable 7-6 and six team roster-wise. Their quarterback is no good. They'll probably move on from him. Their offensive line couldn't block you and I. Their defense was horrendous in missing their oh, they corner. Didn't, they didn't they, care. They were ranked in the 20s in offense and defense. They didn't care. This was an Awful, awful football team who came away with a couple big plays, but was mostly just dominated and trucked by the Vikings' defense. Yes. And so we can't really, even in this three game sample, because you're going to play a terrible Dolphins team, a terrible Detroit Lions team, and then a Chicago team that's not going to play its starters, we can't really say for sure because they're going to play better on offense. And if you go back, I mean, they ran over Arizona. They ran the ball all the time. They ran over Detroit and got a 70-yard run. They ran over the New York Jets, got 37 points in New York, right? So, I mean, I, I would only say that the process was a lot smarter. But that doesn't mean it's all fixed and all good. We, I think, won't find that out until the playoffs what difference this really made. I would say, in your odds, though... Your odds to beat the Bears in Soldier Field in the playoffs, which is kind of how everything's lining up right now, are better if you're giving it to Delvin Cook all the time, if you've got better design screens, if you're protecting Kirk Cousins better with bootlegs. Your odds
1: are better. And your defense plays like it has been of late, which is outstanding at times. And Mitch Trubisky, you play him in a playoff game, and guess what? He starts to panic a bit. This is, this is, I will say, as negative as I can be, this sets up pretty well. Um, I am not saying Stefanski's a genius. What I am saying is it's not that damn tough to, uh, channel the Vikings ghost of Pat Shermer, which is what they did. Right. And so, so this is not, this is, this is the formula though that gives you a chance. If you have any chance, if you have any chance and, and I don't know where this this season ends for the Vikings, but if you have any chance to go into Chicago in that first playoff game and win, this is the correct formula. They didn't ha- have it. And, I mean, I will go back to if you're going to win games, it's this defense. I mean, this defense remains a nightmare. And and credit to, to this team that they defensively did not get off to a good start. Well, through four games they were they were average at best defensively and they fix things again. And Mike Zimmer's ability, this wows me, his ability to develop defensive backs is freaking, I will say that that word, it is freaking unbelievable. Holton Hill and Mackenzie Alexander make it plays. But, I mean, Holton Hill, who is he? He's an undrafted, I mean, think about this. Undrafted free agent who you say to yourself, okay, someday he might be good. He is Really good right now.
2: Okay, let me just say this, though, about Holton Hill. Okay. He follows along with my model, and I hope Purple Podcast listeners remember my model from draft time. Always take the weed guy, because the weed guy, as long as he just stops smoking the weed, might be a good player for you. Holton Hill probably is a second or third round draft pick, Okay, and he turns out to be a great find for them because he's the weed guy and that's why he goes undrafted so i want to add that that he sort of is like that, yeah. he is talented but uh the the, the growth of mackenzie alexander has been uh, significant and today what we saw from anthony Barr, and this is one of the biggest adjustments for zimmer is that Barr is rarely targeted anymore in the passing game which tells you how much they've adjusted and then today all of the sudden, he was pass rushing all over the place. And Anthony said to me after the game, I like going forward better than backward. I love going
1: after the quarterback. Which we've said for how long?
2: Oh, Right, right. And so Three he rushed 11 times against Seattle, which was a lot because they ran the ball all the time. And so they kept doing that over to this game. And it seemed to really catch the Dolphins off guard that he was rushing as much as he is. I wouldn't be surprised if we see that in the following what weeks. What changed then? Uh, Tom Johnson told me it was part of the game plan that they just saw or decided the way that they handle what Everson Griffin said was the way that they max protected against the Vikings. It left some opportunities for the linebackers to come up the middle. So they saw that in their game planning. And then there was Anthony Barr and he was just making plays too. I mean, there was one where it was a delay rush and he just gets after Ryan Tannehill because he sees Tannehill break the pocket. They were ready for rollouts on third downs and things like that because Tannehill can move not today so much, but in general he can. Uh, so I, I, I think it was just part of the game plan. It's
1: week to week, but I, I think he should be rushing the passer all the time. He looks fantastic. But we've been talking about that for three years. Yep, He is going to, he is going to take the, um, the, the VCR tape of today's game to teams around this league, and he's going to pop it in their VCR machines and say, watch 55, that's me, and he's going to get paid. He could get paid based on today's game alone. You know,
2: with, with Anthony, I think he's— or beta. He's a, yeah, very, a very debatable player because he's a linebacker. It's 2018. The linebackers don't seem to have the, the value that maybe they did unless you have one of the great ones. But the more that he plays and the way that they adjusted to some of his shortcomings, the more I think, you know, they might, if, when they get the chance let Trey Wayans go and keep Anthony Barr, franchise tag Anthony Barr. Now, Wayans is supposed to play on his fifth-year option, but that's going to be very expensive. And I know they'll want Sheldon Richardson back. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But the way that Barr has played this year, aside from one horrible night in Los Angeles, which I would not put on him at all, when there's a wide receiver on him, that's not his fault. I think he's been very good, and today, getting after the passer the way that he did, he has become a a very key part of the defense, and
1: I wouldn't be surprised if they find a way to keep him or franchise him. But is he going to, to, if he is kept through a multi-year contract, are we talking about a guy who would be willing to take that contract based on a very good contract or Pro Bowl contract? Which is a difference there.
2: Well, and that that could be the thing because if somebody
1: might really come up and pay him big right, money.
2: Right. If you want to go historical, that. um, you remember Kevin Green in well, yeah. Los Angeles with the Rams, yeah. and or were they? Yeah, they were Los Angeles. And he was a really good pass rusher, but then they changed some defensive scheme and he didn't get sacks and the Steelers then signed him. And of course, he's one of the best players ever at the outside linebacker position. So Anthony Barr may look, he may say, look, I I don't want to stick around here and be this position. I want to rush the passer every play in a three, four scheme on the outside linebacker, but at least for next year, he won't have a choice. If they want to keep him, they can franchise tag him and he's going to stay. And I, I think I've, I've come to the conclusion more and more that he's important. And Zimmer said something earlier this year about he can do a lot of different things, which is hugely valuable if you're a linebacker. And, and I just thought we saw today the max Anthony bar, like he had, not only did he have all those, uh, the two sacks, but he had a bunch of pressures and he had seven tackles too. He was everywhere. He was today. used
1: correctly. Too. That's right. So, uh, so here's, here's my, my thing that I love about this time of, of year in the national football league. I love showing up at the stadium and seeing that a team, i.e. the dolphins very much in playoff contention has decided they don't want to make the playoffs. I think this might be the one sport where you have where where it gets really debatable until you see a team play about the business decision that the majority of their players are going to make. And somewhere along the line here, the Dolphins clearly decided that Patriots win was sure fun and great, but you know what? We're tuckered out. We're because ta- because you're right. Like if you if today's game had been done, if you had been if they had sat you down and said, Matthew Collar, watch today's game, and we're, I'm not going to tell you the record of either team, you would have said Dolphins got about three or four wins, maybe. Yeah, May, just, maybe just, probably just three. Just based on the
2: roster. I yep. I
1: think it's so and and it's disappointing, but I think it's so interesting to show up at a game like this and see a team that's in playoff contention, and you get through about a quarter, two quarters, maybe halftime, and you say to yourself. They're in this game because the Vikings helped keep them there, but they have no interest in trying to win.
2: Even when it was 21-17, they weren't going to win. And this was one. You know, uh, I think we've stopped basically. Like, we used to each week when Ben Gessling was on, and then even when Courtney started, we used to, like, pick the game at the end. And it was just, like, we stunk at it so much. And everyone does. Everyone is bad at picks unless you're in Las Vegas and you work at it only with picks. But this one... I said to my wife after we left the house this morning, I was like, it's it, it's going to be like a kill. Like if they lose this one, this would be, I think just as bad as the Buffalo game, mm-hmm. but maybe worse because Buffalo had edge rushing talent like this. They have like two washed up edge rushers that aren't good anymore. <laughs> so they couldn't even affect the game plan aside from, you know, two pretty soft sacks on cousins. One, you know, you get the guy gets him by the foot. Like, and that was it. Yep. So. I thought there is no chance for this team to beat the Vikings and that, but this is how it should have looked. And oftentimes this year, it hasn't looked how it should have looked even when it was a beatable team. And today it did. So now they move on to Detroit and it's again, a very beatable team. And even if you lose, you're still set in the playoffs, which I also wanted to mention, you know, the bears win the NFC North. They're all set there and you look around there is no one to compete with this Vikings team. Nope. They should cruise right into the playoffs. It's over. So that's on. that's what everything is about now. Everything is about how does this look and set up for the playoffs? But you know what, Judd, I had this thought today. We were talking about hey, week seventeen, they'll just you know steamroll who, you know, the Bears. Week 17 might mean nothing to the Vikings, too. We might be sitting here watching Trevor Simeon.
1: Well, if that's, if that's the case, if it means n- nothing at the rate right we're going at, that's going to be um, Bears will have locked into the three seed. The Vikings will be the sixth seed. And guess what? You are, if that's the case, then, then you, you are obligated to show the Bears and the Bears to the Vikings nothing. Nothing. Yep, preseason it's a, game. It's, It'll be a preseason game. It's exactly right. In fact, I think if that's the case, if you are locked in to playing the Bears – the next week at Soldier Field in Chicago, you both start backup quarterbacks. Oh yes. You show no scheme. It will be. You're right. It'll be preseason game four. Yep. It's Let's going get, to be uh, absolutely terrible. Jalen Holmes. It's a great point.
2: Get him some work. Marcus yep. Sherrills played defensive back. Good job, Marcus Sherrills, today. I think people. And will in be fact, play. I would argue
1: you don't even want to win that game because if you, I've always found it's bad luck if if you win if you're going to play a team in the playoffs you play them right before the playoffs and you win. That game, I've always found, in my opinion, it's, it seems like you come back then and lose the playoff game. I'd much rather just give the Bears the game and say, go get another one for Matt Nagy's Coach of the Year consideration. This right. is fantastic. We'll see you there. But, yeah, there's a good chance um, that it will be a 3-6 seed and that Week 17 means nothing. Okay, Complete four.
2: So before we wrap up on that point, uh, I, maybe the, Kyle Sloader could be a Kyle Sloader game. Trevor Simeon's had his chance.
1: Slaughter's my guy.
2: Slower is your guy. I'm a big uh, any, fan of his. Good kid. Anything else that you wanted to bring up from today's contest? Uh
1: no, no. Nine sacks was impressive, but I tend to agree with you, and and I am with you on your overriding point of I think this was important to play this well. Uh, but once again, and, and I think I think uh, um, record-wise, this is. Going to be the first game of the season in which the Vikings beat a team with a winning record, correct? Well,
2: now they don't have a winning record.
1: But now, but I'm saying coming in, did other teams? I don't yeah. even know how, how does that how is. does that work. I don't know. But anyway, the point being, <laughs> the point being is. Don't get too excited, but it would have been really alarming and really bad if they hadn't come out offensively and looked good yes, again. Absolutely. Because this is the type of kick in the ass the teams need sometimes. So now
2: I, I also want to add this, and I'm not by any means pimping any home runs here, but when we would get the phone calls about Zimmer wanting to run more, what Zimmer's point is is give Delvin Cook –
1: the football, which he basically said post game press conference, Give he's pretty good the when best you, you, player the ball. He's pretty good when he has the ball, <laughs> right. something along the, those right. lines. I mean, the, the shots at flip in the post game were absolutely awesome, and, and that's not and that, subtle but awesome.
2: That's what Zimmer was getting at. Yeah. He's not trying to be from the seventies. He wants his best player to have the ball. Right. Todd Gurley gets the ball all the time with the Los Angeles Rams. Le'Veon Bell, when he's in the game, gets the ball all the time for the Steelers. Correct. Give him the football. And so uh, I, I don't think Zimmer all of a sudden zapped back to the 80s or 90s, early 90s. I, I think that he just wanted the best player to have the ball, and that's what it was really about. And also, very clever timing for Mike Zimmer to fire his offensive coordinator. He could have done it after New England, but then you have to go out to Seattle. Instead, he plays this not so great defense. That's being polite without their top outside corner. Interesting. And knows interesting. that he's got, he's got a route, a path to get the belief of the players behind. DiFilippo was the problem. It wasn't cousins. It wasn't me. It wasn't our offensive line. It was him. He's gone. We can win
1: now. So there you go. That's interesting. And, and I do think too, that, that the key to this change is twofold. one, Get Cook the football because he needs it, and it's stupid not to. And the other thing is quit treating Cousins like a legitimate top five QB and game plan with with him. And I'm sure that there's some give and take right right now between uh, Kirk and Stefanski about, you know, I'd like to do this, i do this well, blah, blah, blah. That's, That's great. But there probably needs to be a line drawn to say, you know what, Kirk, you do these three things really well. And four and five, you don't. So we're not doing them. So, but yeah, the cook thing, the cook thing is my biggest question mark and will be, how did you not incorporate this guy who now I know here at the hamstring in week two and missed time after that, I think five games total. And I get the fact that he came back against Detroit before the bye and probably was not at full strength at that time. But he was killing
2: New England. And and you've got to believe
1: he's been been set to go for weeks now. Yep. So, yeah. And the Patriots game, and I tried to ask Cook that question. I said, how about that Patriots game when they wouldn't give give you the ball and he gave me the old, we're looking forward. We're not looking back. We're looking forward. But that was the eye-opener. When you're averaging more than nine yards per carry and you have nine carries.
2: Yep, exactly. So, all right. Well, it would be – um, really stunning if things went the other way. So we're going to kind of turn our eyes toward what does this team need to do to get ready for the playoffs? And uh, despite all the ups and downs of a very wild season, that's where we're at now. And thanks to a lot of the other teams in the NFC. So, Give you Purple Podcast listeners plenty of reason to stick around. So we'll have the Purple Live show as always. And I've heard, judge sources have told
1: me yeah, that
2: on? if they make the playoffs, when they make the playoffs, we'll also have another Lucky's
1: 13 appearance. Really? So, you know... Care to float which one? I mean, there's something locations yeah. throughout I, the Yeah, th- th- That will give primary.
2: everyone a reason to listen to the very last right. second of each Purple Podcast. So okay. thank you all for listening. As always, we'll be back with lots more. Sage Rosenfels will break it down and maybe gloat a little. He deserves it. So we'll uh, we'll catch you guys then.